All right. Well, good morning. We doing good? Some? Yes, some no. And uh, let, I just want to say, where'd Greg go? This is Greg Frith. First time on the base. Thank you, Greg. And uh, man, I, I believe God has given us so many talented people. I don't like embarrassing folks, but the first time you really played bass was like two or three weeks ago, I think. Just over here in the office. So he was able to do that. And I believe there's a lot of you and God has given you talents and gifts. It may not be music, but sometimes people never actually say, Lord, let me be used by you. And Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we want to let however God has given a person a gifting, a talent, a love, a passion, if that's gospel-centered and gospel-focused, gospel-oriented, we want that to be able to be a reality here. Amen, church? All right, whatever it is. Now, if you, if you, if you can't, you know, if music is not your thing, if you're tone deaf, we would absolutely love for you not to do that. All right? And so we can just make a, a, a joyful no, noise to the Lord. And let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be there in verse number 27 through 30. And we're speaking on this subject this morning that lust takes and love gives. Here's Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent as what? Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it Away, for it is better that you lose one of your members. This is extreme stuff. Check it out. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. You see, the Bible teaches us that lust is a craving for what either is off limits or what is out of season for the hunters and fisher people among us. And all of us have natural appetites, don't we? How many of us enjoy a good meal? Can we be honest? Some of you don't like food. That's fine. That's your choice. You know, no judgment. This is no judgment zone. All right. You, you enjoy food. How many of you enjoy a good conversation with a close friend? All of us have desires. Some in here are single, like myself, never been married. Some in here are single again. Some in here are married. Some are married with children. May God bless you. And I don't mean that. In a, in a, like a roundabout way. That's an awesome, amazing thing. Some people are not able to have children. So they are like Paul, who says, you know what? I don't have physical children. I'm going to go adopt a spiritual son, aka a Timothy, and pour my life through Jesus into that person. We all have natural desires. And here's just something up front. Sometimes we can get the idea in church that God is, and we have children's stuff back there, so that's for this purpose. God is not against sex. God created it. 
Some of y'all looks like this the first time you've ever heard that in your life. Let me say it again so that we don't get misunderstandings. He said, what? God is not anti-sex. God is the one who created it. But lust is when we take the natural desires that we have, a woman for a man, a man for a woman, to be married and to have physical intimacy, to make love, to have relational intimacy, to raise a family together, to share the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart, and you know that the person will not kick you to the curb, they will give you grace, love, and forgiveness. All of us have those natural, God-given desires, but what Jesus is getting to the point is he's saying lust is the desire to fulfill these desires out of season or whatever is off limits. If you're not married, that means that sex is off limits. That means that if you're cohabitating with a person and you're sexually active, it's what Jesus is talking about and it will destroy your life. If you want a divorce in your life, a very good thing to do, if you're wanting that, which nobody really does, is to cohabitate before you're married. It's secular statistics. It's from Christian statisticians. It is almost always the case that when people live together, unless Jesus really shows up and does some heart change, that it's a precursor for divorce. Because the marriage, if it happens, is founded upon a foundation of no commitment. Now, that's a very anti-cultural message, is it not? I have friends of mine that are in that lifestyle. You say, Jeff, how do you deal with them? I love them. Say, Jeff, because you're not cohabitating with someone, does that mean that you're better than those people? Absolutely not. But the point is that I'm not the authority. Jesus is. You all see the difference? And my job as a follower of Jesus, and specifically as your pastor, we have to open up the words of Jesus. And even when they're hard, and even when they hit us in right between the eyes, and even when we feel guilty and, and convicted, we, we have to do that because Jesus loves us. Please get this. Jesus loves you and I so much that he is willing, he is willing to make us uncomfortable so that we'll come to him so that he can change us. If Jesus did not care about us, he would say, you know what, it's just your life. Do whatever you want with it. I don't really care. But because he loves us, he cares. So lust is wanting something that may be God-given, but it's not the right season in your life. So if you're taking notes, we have the outline there. And the last part of that main idea is simply this. If you are um, single or single again, which, by the way, over 50% of the American population is single. Is that a surprise? For some, it may be over 50%. So some people say, well, you know, depending on a church situation, there's not going to be that many. There are, and I'm right in the same boat. So here's what we have to do, single people. We have to wait on God to fulfill, check this out, to fulfill. We're waiting on God to fulfill God-given desires, and we wait upon him to provide that person. The result is that it brings joy and not regret. Now, let me make something very, very clear. If you're new with us today and you're like, bro, I, I mean, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I don't read the Bible. And I'm like, I, I showed up at church. I'm cohabitating with somebody. And I feel like everybody's looking at me like, what in the world? We are so glad that you're here. Right, church? We, Rocky Mount Baptist Church loves adulterers. 
Y'all laugh at that stuff. Y'all are crazy. Seriously, we, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, because Jesus has saved us from what we were, we love adulterers. We love fornicators, which means people who engage in sex before marriage. We love, we love people who are struggling with anger. You see, this is not a collection of people who have it all together. This is a collection, a gathering, a family of people who have been transformed by someone outside of themselves. And if you talk to someone from Rocky Mount Baptist Church and they tell you that they're a good person, they haven't been listening. Because if we listen to the Bible, it's kind of like that, uh, you're watching your favorite show and that message comes across and it go, it's, it's beautiful. It's like in C flat sharp or something. It's like, eh, eh, eh. it's that, that's the message of the Bible. It interrupts our lives. So what we're saying, just, just to begin this message, is that Jesus loves us enough to point out what will destroy us. And you say, well, Jeff, it seems like you just totally point out the single people. Well, what about the married people? I've been told by married friends that the battle with lust, guys especially, because in marriage you can, you can have that. You can have sex within marriage, and within marriage sex is a good thing. That's what the Bible says. God has, has brought two people together to fill the earth. That's Genesis. Have y'all never heard a message like this? Freaking some folks out, man. I mean, it's in here. I'm not making it up. But I've had friends, godly men, who said that, Jeff, if anything, the being married, it becomes even more a battle of lust because that part, that side of you is, is active. So unlike if you're, if you're staying pure when you're single, it's not. You struggle with, you know, thoughts and things like that. But, but it's very, very difficult because you, you know, you've been, you've been on the other side of the fence. So whether you're single, single again, married, married with children, Happily married, being honest. If you're here this morning and you say, Jeff, if I was truly honest with God in my heart, I am not happily married. I'm not. In fact, Jeff, I have been tempted as of late to think about the possibility of cheating on my spouse if it's possible that I could get away with it. You don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer that when you check your email, you get all sorts of emails from groups. And I'm not going to name the websites. Because that may tempt some people to go there. But there are websites that are created for the specific purpose of allowing married people to cheat on their spouses and do it in secrecy with other people who are wanting to cheat on their spouses who have families and jobs. And they're wanting to engage in that side without the repercussions and the consequences. You say, Jeff, I've actually, I don't know where those desires are coming from. I know that's wrong, but I've been tempted by that. Jesus has good words for you. Listen, there is hope. And whether you're a woman or a man, and you're struggling with the addiction of pornography, Jesus has good words for you. There is hope in the gospel. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and follow with us through through your outline. We have what's called Jesus' prolegomenon, Jesus' introduction, the things he doesn't necessarily state here, but what he brings to the table. Number one, by mentioning adultery here, Jesus is, is reinforcing that per natural law, per the Old Testament, and per the internal law of the conscience, adultery is a bad thing. You don't have to be a Christian to know that adultery brings destruction. 
Adultery brings death. Adultery brings destruction to relationships and families. Some of us have said that guns, or we've seen this written, that guns don't kill people. Spouses who come home early kill people. And we laugh because sometimes there's a certain amount of truth to that. Jesus is saying that you don't find the right person by doing the wrong thing. And even more so, you say, well, Jeff, what if I have hit, what if that is the foundation of my relationship? What if my former marriage crashed and burned because there was lust and adultery? If Jesus is there, there can be confession and repentance and you begin to truly care for the person as opposed to using them to satisfy desires that your spouse supposedly did or did not meet. But we as adults have to stop and ask ourselves the question that when we come to these difficult parts in the Bible, do we automatically... I've been praying about whether I should say this, but I think I should since I've already said it. It seems like when we come to these difficult passages, we automatically run to grace. And here's what, here's what that means, especially if you've been in church. We say, yes, those things are wrong, but in Christ I'm forgiven. True, if you are truly in Christ. But, but maybe we should take a step back. And for the sake of the children, for the sake of the middle schoolers, and the precious kids in elementary school, for the sake of the high schoolers and the college students who are yet... Who are yet to find their future, their future husband or wife. Maybe it would be good if we're being honest with the Bible to back up and say, here's my life. Here is the brokenness that has come about through my choices that I knew and I know they were not right instead of automatically fleeing to grace. In Christ you have grace, but may, it may be that we could help young people not go down the same road if we just open up and tell them what a brutal thing it's been in our lives when it actually promised the world. Are we okay? We're not saying that there's not grace in Christ. There is. But let's make sure that they understand the brokenness so that they'll appreciate the grace. Not only that, but Jesus, by mentioning adultery, affirms marriage, right? Now think about it like this. If there's no standard, then there can't be a violation of the standard. Jesus endorses, because he was a first century Jew, because he believed in the law of Moses, that marriage is for for one man and one woman for life. All right, And if you're here today and you're struggling with the sin or with the desires to commit homosexual acts, if you say, Jeff, bro, I'm being honest, it seems like I've, I've always had these desires. I don't want to go down that road, but I do. Listen, we're glad that you're here. I got two amens. We are super glad that you are here because we believe that Jesus can change our hearts. And whether you're a young man and you're just, man, you say... Jeff, I just want to go and and spread my wild oats and sleep with every woman I possibly can. Whether you have that raging heart of lust, that volcano inside, or whether you're struggling with same-sex attraction, Jesus is the one who can set us free. And not only that, if you notice here, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 28, but I say to you, this means simply that Jesus is assuming the role of authority. Jesus is not quoting other people. Jesus is not saying, Rabbi, so-and-so said. And as I mentioned a few months ago, often I quote from C.S. Lewis or 
great Christian authors. And when we do that, we're not saying, C.S. Lewis quote, boom, Jesus quote, boom. C.S. Lewis hopefully can illustrate to us today what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is the authority. All right? You say, man, Jeff, it sounds like every time I come, like, you know, people are like yelling and stuff. And whether it's you or somebody else who's here. Like, why, why, why do we communicate in such a way? Because our culture is have it your way. I mean, would you like fries with that? And, and your response is what you get. I mean, don't, don't do it. Don't be crooked. But if you go stay at some of these resorts and they say, how was your stay? And you say, well, it smelled musty. And there was a, this, and there was a, you know, a cockroach that I, I mean, a family of cockroaches that came out. And I mean, they were so big, I sprayed them with, I sprayed them with bug killer and they were just like, <laughs> I'm not happy here. The food, you know what often they do? They say, well, we have it your way. We don't want you to put out a bad review on Google, remember, right? We want you to go tell your friends to come here and we want you to tell your family to come here. So we want you to have it your way. So we live, whether we realize it or not, in a user-friendly culture. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus says, I don't just care about what you think you want. I care about what you truly need. And some of us think that we need a break. We think that we need that release that lust promises to provide. But Jesus says that those promises, those false echoes of the voice of lust only end in brokenness. So now we're going to compare and contrast lust versus love. Now that we understand what Jesus brings to the table when he addresses adultery. Notice in verse 28, Jesus actually extends the boundary of adultery from the external acts of physical adultery to internal lust. Notice what he says. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has what? Oh, snap. Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, check this out. If Jesus was who he said he was, if Jesus actually lived and died perfectly, was raised from the dead, then that means that Jesus is not just another guy. That means that he is he's the boss of the cosmos. That means, and we see this in the Bible, that Jesus knows our heart, so he knows what goes on in our mind and our heart. So that means that not only in Jesus' eyes is lust equivalent to heart adultery, but he actually knows when it happens. And this word lust, it can be used in a positive sense in the New Testament. You have in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 16, speaking uh, where you're longing, the, the prodigal son was longing to be fed with the pig's food. You can Not that pig's food is desirable, but it can be used for just a natural desire to, uh, for example, Matthew 13, 17. Jesus says, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous leaders longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So you have this, this, this idea of, of when you see lust mentioned in the New Testament or desire or passion, it can be for something good. But Jesus is talking about when it turns off of the road, when GPS is not able to find the path, when we're blazing a path of lust out of self-interest, it literally means 
to lust after or to desire greatly. I say, okay, Jeff, what exactly does lust mean for us today? Well, according to Jesus, for men, and guys, this is, this is for all of us, Jesus says that when we engage in thoughts about women that are not honoring to God, it is heart adultery. But then some of us guys say, now, so wait, wait, wait a second, I've always been told you can look, but you can't touch. Okay, that's not in the Bible, that's so that your wife doesn't murder you. Okay? Two separate things. We, we hear in our culture, you can look, but you can't touch. But Jesus is not just a fake. Because if Jesus was just concerned about what we did physically, and he's like, think what you want, you know, have all sorts of stuff going on internally, I don't care, but as long as you come to church and obey the rules, then really Jesus is the cosmic hypocrite, right? So he's concerned about what is going on Inside, Jonathan Edwards said this, quote, It is the natural tendency of sin and lust to stupefy the conscience. Now, I've never been to Africa, and if I went, I probably wouldn't have the idea of saying, let me get a tranquilizer gun and try to shoot a rhinoceros or an elephant. But if you notice that even for animals that big, when they get shot by the dark, they have that automatic, like, what just happened? And then very quickly they turn into what some people turn into after clubbing on a Friday or Saturday night. They become looking like they're drunk. And then slowly they collapse. Jonathan Edwards says that when we engage and when we allow lust to run free like a wild stallion, it begins to stupefy and almost intoxicate our conscience. Russell Moore said that the weapon of pornography today has been weaponized you see in the ancient world if you look in your bibles a few chapters or a few books past uh, the book of matthew where we are you'll see first and second corinthians um, ancient corinth would kind of make new orleans today it's been compared to new orleans but i'm like bro i grew up right outside new orleans and we absolutely did not have and the children are back there in Corinth, they, they had a, a temple on the top of a hill and 1,000 regularly employed full-time prostitutes who would come down in the evenings with little lamps and candles and so forth and, and enlist business. And Paul speaking to these people. I mean, can you imagine that, ladies? Your husband's walking home. He's riding his horse or his donkey. And then there's this massive swarm of professional prostitutes who tell them that it not only can he come in, but it's his duty as a Corinthian to worship through those acts their pagan gods and goddesses. I mean, you talk about a strain on marriage. But Russell Moore said that it's been weaponized today. Let me give you, give you a statistic. This is from Mark Driscoll's article, There's No Such Free Thing as Porn. Or There's No Such Thing as Free Porn. And quote, it says, If you're a man between the ages of 18 and 34, 70% all right, are involved in pornography. And it says there's a, a, a doctor 
Patrick Carnes, who said, quote, we're seeing women getting into pornography in a way that we've never seen before. We are seeing the biggest change in human sexuality maybe since the history of our species. Covenant eyes, which I actually use on my uh, on my iPhone, we'll talk about that a little bit more. If you're struggling with this, you're probably already like under loads of conviction because we automatically know it's wrong. We just do. But it would show you some, some keys to, to get out of, to get out of that slavery. But Covenant Eyes reports that, quote, there are over at least 40,644 websites that distribute pornographic material on the internet. About 11% of all internet visits are to one of these sites. About 14% of the online population in America visits these sites. 17 million Americans spending an average of 6.5 minutes per visit. About 80 to 90% of these people um, only access, quote, free pornographic material. And the point of the article is that there is no such thing as free porn because it always, it always costs. And in terms of money, porn is a 10, check this out, a 10 to $14 billion industry. This makes it a bigger business than professional football, basketball, and baseball combined. And as we know, it's no longer like in the old days to when you would get someone who was over 18 to go into the convenience store and buy the, as they said back in the day, the, quote, dirty magazine. And that was hid in between mattresses and so forth that guys got together. Now you literally cannot even have a school address, email address, and not have weaponized porn, whether it's through robots, whether it's through a network, and every single one of us, and even more so, your children and your grandchildren are being targeted by this industry. Now, we could go out and we could hold up signs. We could go the old school way of lambasting the world, or we could look for ways for Jesus to change our hearts. And then we could provide a way out for people so that they would see the transformation. You say, Jeff, what is the origin of lust? Like, where does it truly come from? Well, according to, if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 13, Romans 13 and verses 9 and 10, according to the Bible, the origin of lust has its roots in pride and not love. The Bible says in verse 9 of Romans chapter 13, for the commandments... You shall, actually let's back up to verse number 8 just to take it in context. The Bible says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What lust does that leads to heart adultery, as Pastor Mark Driscoll calls it, and then to hand adultery, physical adultery, is a desire to say, I'm single, or I'm single again, I have these desires, but God, I deserve better. So what I'm going to do is go for something that is out of season and pick the fruit that is not mine to pick. And as we said earlier, that desires, human desires for sex, for relationship, intimacy, emotional level, mental level, all of those things come from God, but when they are fulfilled outside of God's prescribed plan, which is heterosexual marriage for life, it brings brokenness instead of joy. And here's what C.S. Lewis says about being in love. He says, quote, what we call being in love is a glorious state, and in several ways it's good for us. 
It helps us to be, to make us generous and courageous. It opens our eyes not only to the beauty of the beloved, but also to the beauty. And it subordinates, especially at first, our merely animal sexuality. In that sense, love is the great conqueror of lust. The Old Testament boy, I mean, you have, you have young Jacob there. And he's like, I, I, I love this woman. It's just like love at first sight. But, his, but she had a really crooked dad. And he's like, well, if you work for seven years, you can have my daughter. Dads, if you love your daughters and you've got some dude coming around who doesn't love Jesus and you know he's there for one reason, and you're like, Dad just remembers, I, I just remembered I have a gun in the closet, you know, and you're cleaning it when he comes out. You could just say you can have her if you work for me for seven years. I mean, it's in the Bible, right? Somebody totally caught that like, wow, I'll never be married, right? And yet he worked for seven years and the dad did a switch. And he, and he gave him the sister who he wasn't attracted to and he worked seven more years to get the one that he truly loved. Wow. All the ladies are like, whoa, whoa. Guys are like, man, that's a long time. She is awesome, but I don't know. Right? So here's the thing. C.S. Lewis says that love conquers lust. And he goes a step further. He says, the most dangerous thing you can do, please catch this. The most dangerous thing you and I can do is to take one impulse of our own nature and set it up as a thing you ought to follow at all costs. Being in love is a good thing, but it is not the best thing. There are many things below it, but there are also things above it. You cannot make it the basis of a whole life. It is a noble feeling, but it is still a feeling. And Jesus has saved us for something better than being driven just by our desires. Okay, Jeff. What is the difference between admiring beauty and lusting? And you're like, I'm a guy. And I like to watch the Victoria's Secret thing. Because I enjoy fashion. And I enjoy beauty. I say, you're full of crap. I mean, let's just, let's just be real. So, well, and honestly, you know, because there's some people that are into fashion. Like true fashion, not just displaying bodies that are basically uh, unclothed. What's the difference? Let's just be honest. Our conscience knows the difference. Without getting into a discussion of aesthetics and art, all, you know, all of those intellectual things of, whoa, I just think, I'm like, bro, let's just be honest. We both have lustful hearts and we need to repent. Our conscience knows the difference. So Jesus actually in verse 28 through 30, he warns here as he's building this case that that the heart is the staging area. For military terms, it's the forward operating base for physical adultery. You said, Jeff, is, is lust in the heart really the same as physical adultery? Like, let's say I, I do, even if I don't look at, at porn, I have a lustful heart. Is that the same as actually going out and committing adultery with a woman or a man who is married? Mark Driscoll says this, and it made a lot of sense. He says, all sin is equally damnable, but not all sin is equally devastating. And let that sink in. How many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? And here's the thing. The Bible says you, you already start out on the wrong side. We're all born with the nature of sin. So in God's eyes, yes, it's, it's all sin, but we can destroy more things through certain acts than others. 
And then notice how Jesus builds this in verse 29 and 30. It's almost like it's, it's a snowball that catches speed and mass as it goes downhill. He says, quote in verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now question, is Jesus enforcing pre-UFC 1 rules? All my violent people got that one. Is he really endorsing, like actually tearing out your eyeballs? Sorry for those of you that get squeamish there, but he says that. Or actually taking an instrument and chopping off one of your hands? Well, notice where Jesus' discussion ends. He says, it's better for you to lose one of these things, verse 29, last part, than your whole body be thrown into hell. He says the same thing about the hand. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. What Jesus is saying is that the heart... An unchanged heart will result in a life that pursues destruction when the life really thinks it's pursuing happiness. You know, most people don't go into into pornography and don't go into having affairs to say or cohabitating with someone and being sexually active there. Like people don't do that to say, you know what, I want to I want to invite destruction on my life. No one does that, but we see the promise that this person has more to offer than than my spouse, or I just don't want to wait on the Lord. It's going to be too long. And instead of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus is saying that if we don't give our hearts to Him, then lust will carry us to pour all of our lives, our heart, mind, soul, and strength into something that will eventually destroy us. It's a man named Benjamin Nolot. He's the founder and president of Exodus Cry. Um, they did a documentary called, quote, Who Buys Sex? The Linking Porn and Human Trafficking. And when they were in Cambodia, they were filming in a small village. And if you, if you keep up with world news, you'll know that Thailand is number one in the world in sex trafficking. And I had a friend from seminary, and she worked in Thailand, and she wrote up this, it was almost like a warning sheet. Western guy, tennis shoes, white socks, jeans, jacket, come, and they, they could, they could, they could point them out, the Europeans and the American guys that would come there for sex trafficking. So here's this guy, they're making a documentary to try to rescue these children in this small town. And he says, I saw a white Western man standing in front of a dilapidated shack. That man was probably in his late forties, was bartering for sex with with a child, okay, outside of a shanty brothel. My film crew and I quickly jumped out of our vehicle and gave chase, catching him just as he was getting ready to be saddled to the back of a moped taxi. I grabbed him by the shirt and stared into his eyes. The look on his face was one of sheer cowardice, and it seemed like there was a literal film of perversion that glossed over his eyes. After I raised my voice and demanded that he never return to the village again, I let him go, and as we walked back to our vehicle, I pondered what I just faced. Why was this happening? Who was this man? Why was the most lucrative business in this little village child sex tourism? Then it hit me. This man didn't wake up one day, before and decide to fly to the other side of the world to buy a child for sex of all the men we talked to who had purchased women or child children for sex prostitution there wasn't one who didn't have a history of viewing pornography 
The deviant behavior of men in our world is not simply pathological. Check this. It has been taught to them the, quote, hyper-sexualization of this generation, mine primarily, has awakened an unprecedented demand for illicit sex. And then he says this. When men pay to view sex, they aren't very far from taking the next step to buy sex. See, Jeff, what do we do about this? Here are five weapons, five defenses that through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, regardless of how deep you feel you are in any one of these things, here's how you fight it. Number one, take steps to avoid sexually explicit material that feeds lust. It just does. If you have cable and you have HBO, I would encourage you today to turn off those channels. It got very quiet. Skinamax. Okay. Why? Can a follower of Jesus Christ have those channels? There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not watch HBO. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not watch this specific channel. But the Bible does say that we should flee youthful lust. If that's an issue for you, cut it off. If you're married, let there be a time to where you and your spouse come together and mutual love and respect and grace and forgiveness. And it very well could be, especially if you're married here today, you go home with your spouse, they could be wrestling with some of these things and you never knew it. And it could be that the Lord is laying it upon their heart to just talk about it today. And even if they're not involved, to say, you know what? You say to your husband and wife, let's talk about it so that we could be prepared to help the children. Because they're going to be faced with it and they're already being targeted with it. Let's develop a plan. And the first step in that plan is to, is to cut off what's going to feed it. Now, secularists will tell you that you need a release. You need to look at the lost world that tells you that you are doomed to follow your desires and say, I am not an animal. I have been saved by Jesus Christ. I have desires, yes, but Jesus is the one who is able to help me direct those to be fulfilled in the right way and in the right time. Uh, For you ladies, uh, lust novels. They're often called love novels. I was working a job back in college, and uh, there was one of my supervisors was a lady uh, in her 50s who was very much into that. And she said, oh, you're a Christian. Okay, have you read any of this? And I, it was one, you know what I'm saying, guys? Like, we see those covers, and we're like, that would make a great target, right? One of those. And, and I, I read some of it, and it was basically, if you took a pornographic movie and you put words to what was being done, it was the same thing. It feeds often in ladies. What we're finding out is it feeds emotional things that you say, well, my husband doesn't listen to me, so you can go into a lust novel and have an emotional affair even when it's not physical. And even more so, GQ magazine. I know a lot of people in Baptist churches read GQ magazine, right? By Scott Christian, it's called, quote, 10 reasons why you should stop watching porn. This is amazing that even the lost world is realizing the damaging effects of pornography. So whether you're having an emotional affair with someone, whether there's some flirting, let's say you're married and you've got a flirting thing and a mutual admiration thing, like guys, your, your wife is not respecting you and so you know a, a woman where you work out or where you work and she seems to give you that respect and it seems like there's a little bit of those threads are beginning to come together because you seem to be emotionally attracted, flee from that. Number two, 
You say, Jeff, I'm already hooked. I'm ensnared, especially in pornography. We have three specific websites that are listed there on your worship guide. They're also on the website for today's notes. Covenant Eyes, x3watch.com, and integrityonline.com. You need all of us to have it on our tablets, our computers, laptops, and smartphones. Because you say, Jeff, I've never even had an issue with it. You're being targeted. We all get that. We're all being targeted. But secondly, you having it on your phone and telling a friend who may be too embarrassed to let anyone know that he or she struggles with that, that could let them say, you know what, where did you get that? Because they may not be comfortable enough saying, hey, I've been watching violent pornography and I know I need to stop. What can you do to help me? But if you're able to talk about this, it gives them a way that they can find peace. And within point number two, you and I need to learn how to hate our sin. The baby likes this message. All the adults are silent. And I preach. We need to learn to hate. We need to learn to hate sin. We need to learn how to declare unrestricted warfare on lust. Every single one of us will struggle with this to some degree, but to say, I will not let it breathe. If you've done any type of boxing, fighting, martial arts, if you've done wrestling, you know when you stun the opponent, when you get them a certain move, your coach or your trainer will say, go, go, go. Because when you put the enemy on his heels, it's that time to strike. So this isn't something that we need to put off. It's something that Jesus can help us with today. Number three, avoid alone time with someone of the opposite gender who is not your spouse being alone with someone of the opposite gender who is not your spouse mark driscoll says quote before you cheat on your spouse you have to cheat on god first and sometimes we say well now jeff i i i slipped can christians slip christians christians are capable of being hitler if it were not for the grace of god Jeff Robinson has the propensity and his sinful nature to do any level of sordid, horrific things with his life if we're not for the restraining grace of Jesus Christ. So can we slip? Definitely. And if it was not for Jesus, most of us would be probably not even here, maybe not even alive. But Adrian Rogers says something about the slipping thing. He says, you know, if you slip, he says, don't walk in slippery places. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Don't walk in slippery places. Especially if you're going through marriage problems. We, can, we have ways that we can help you with that from the word of God. But don't spend a lot of alone time with people who are not your spouse. That's just, that's just common sense, okay? Number four. Begin to meditate. And that means memorize and intellectually, mentally chew on, like a cow with the cud, specific Bible verses that will begin to reverse the damaging patterns that have been created by heart adultery. And for, especially for us guys, when we're tempted to go down that road and look at things that we should not look at, let our hearts be broken that those women were once little girls. If you have a daughter, imagine her as your daughter. If you have a sister, imagine that's your little sister. Imagine that 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 young woman probably will grow into be someone the age of your mom. And if that woman lives long enough, she'll, if she doesn't have 
care and no one's able to take care of her, she'll be put into a nursing home like so many people today. When we go in and visit nursing homes, many people never get a visit. She will be there one day if she lives long enough. She's a human being, guys. And God has called us to protect women and not exploit them. And if we say, well, she doesn't know, then may God forgive our cowardly hearts. And we say, well, it's, it's just a visit to a website. I'm not hurting anybody. May God so change our hearts that we say, if there's anything in my life to where Jesus says should not be there, let me give it to him, start putting these steps into practice and have it eradicated. And finally, number five, we all have to remember that willpower is weak and only the gospel can break our chains. That's it. If you come away from this message saying, I've just got to try harder. I've got to get software on my phone that's going to help me. I've got to put protection on my computer. I've got to go buy um, not that one convenience store that I go to on the way home and they know what I get and it's very discreet. I've got to, you know, be stronger and avoid that person at work who I like them and they like me. That's not the point. The point is that we cannot. And that only a changed heart, please get this, only a changed heart that comes from Jesus, okay? When we realize that we can't change our heart, only Him coming in can change us. That's the beginning of a plan of getting out of the chains of heart and hand adultery. Say, Jeff, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to cry out to Jesus for help. Regardless if this is an issue for you, whether you're deep down in the rabbit hole, whether you just had something happen in the last few months, The Bible says that whatever sin that we cover, God's going to bring it to light. But when we open it up to him, if you're married, even though it may be painful, the pain of holding on to it and suppressing it will be far worse than when you, through prayer and fasting, talk to your spouse and you seek forgiveness from them. And it may be through your confession. And it may be through, take it a step further, That talking about something like this, for example, guys, talking to your sons about the struggle with lust. They will see my dad has humility and my dad is real. Whether my dad is new to this church thing, he loves me and cares for me. And what you do, parents, when you talk to your children like that, you create a safe zone that when they are targeted and with, if and when they slip and fall, they can come to you as opposed to carrying years of horrific guilt, thinking that I'm the only one. And Satan will say, you're the only one. If they knew, they would kick you out of the family. Where Jesus is saying, come to me, I'll change you. I'll use your story. I will use your adultery. I will use your pornographic addiction. I will use your emotional adulteries. I will use your fornication. I will use your broken life to reach other people who need to be broken. Because the message of the gospel is law to the proud and grace to the humble. Some of us, I hope not, may say, Jeff, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can go ahead and close that Bible and put it up because I will sleep with who I want to sleep. I will look at and watch what I want to look at. And you, Jesus, nobody will tell me any different. Don't take my word for it. But Jesus warns you that if it is not repented, the end result is physical destruction of the body and then eternal torment in hell for the soul. And why does Jesus say that? Not because he's a shock jock, but because he loves us. And so we have to do is come to him and brokenness and receive that forgiveness and start today start today not tomorrow for a new road to freedom let's bow our heads and close our eyes 
This is our time of commitment. We call it an invitation. There may be some of you and you say, Jeff, I have been looking forward to the invitation. I am so ready to make my commitment to Christ public. Man, I just can't wait to when, when we start singing this song, just a few minutes, I'm going to walk down this aisle and I'm going to publicly let people know that I am ready to follow Jesus. We ask you to come. If you know that God is leading you to join Rocky Mount Baptist Church so that God can, can use you to come alongside and help people with things that you've never even struggled with, but because you love Jesus, you can be there for them. And you're ready to, you're ready to plug in with Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We ask you to come. And then for the point of this message, whether you're a leader in this church, whether you're a casual attender, whether you're a member, whether it's your first time to church in a long time, Jesus is offering you his hand of forgiveness. Don't let Satan tell you that the things that you have engaged in internally and externally somehow, somehow make you a special case that God can't change. You see, Jeff, I've tried before. It's like when I try, I jump back in that ring and I say, I'm not going to do it again. And that giant of lust just not only did they knock me out, it throws me out of the whole, the whole auditorium. It's not willpower, but it is surrendering to Jesus totally. That's what begins the road to freedom. And just in this moment right now, whether it's pornography, whether it's an emotional affair, whether it's reading emotional pornography through so-called love novels, whether it's watching things that we shouldn't watch, whether it's actual physical adultery, whether you're, you're single again or you're single and, and you say, Jeff, I, I, I've just been so lonely that I, I totally screwed up. It was like, you know, three weeks ago and I, I woke up and I was like, what have I done? Come to Jesus. Confess that to Him. Don't bring excuses. Confess it to Him and let Him know that you agree with his indictment on your life. And then receive his grace and his forgiveness. The Bible says, whoever believes upon the Lord shall be saved. And if you're a believer that has walked in slippery places and has slipped and fallen and busted it, remember the Bible says that if we confess our sins, which means to say the same thing, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're a believer that is struggling, whether you have fallen, Jesus is here today and he can forgive you of all of it. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy that says, how could you? Jesus saves and Jesus changes. Father, would you move in this time of invitation, that every single person that even needs to come forward and pray for someone that they know who may not even be struggling about anything that we talked about in this sermon, but just simply needs Jesus, would you lead them to come? Father, the ones that need to make a public profession of faith, or to come to be baptized or to join this church, we ask that you would bring them. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? 